Welcome to the Christchurch Oceanside Podcast, a faith community on Vancouver Island within the Anglican Network in Canada. We invite you to check out our website at ChristchurchOceanside.ca, or if you're on Vancouver Island, join us on a Sunday in the News Bay. Today's message is brought to you by our pastor, Father Ryan Matchett. We hope you enjoy. Bless you. series here on anxiety. Today will be our last session on this, our last time of teaching. And to do so, we're going to move into Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to go to verse 7. So we're going to skip over the judging others. I think I'll return to that text next week. But for this week, I think this section of Jesus's teaching uh, fits really well within the context of our discussion that we've been having on anxiety. Now, so much of anxiety stems from a big question. Will I have what I need? Am, am I going to be okay? And by continuing this teaching, Jesus is going to help answer that question in a very fundamental way that we want to return to consistently to keep answering that question. Now, there's also a special Christian anxiety that's connected to this, which is, if I ask God, will God provide for me? That there's kind of a dual anxiety there. There's a fundamental, just human anthropological question. Will I have what I need in this life? But then there's this question of, if I ask God for my needs, is he going to answer me? And there's some anxiety that comes there as well. And I think what Jesus teaches here is going to help bring some peace and some calm and some confidence to that question. Now, if you've been a part of Christ Church for a while, or if you know me, you know that I'm not a big fan of taking a text of Scripture and going, well, what about this? And the yeah, buts that we tend to add on to these teachings. I want to have a very simplistic um, trustful reception of the teachings of Jesus. I have seen enough of the character of Christ. I've seen enough of the works of Christ. 
I've seen enough of the promises of Christ fulfilled that when I come to a scripture text like this, I'm going, teacher, teach me. Um, and so there might be some holes in my thinking. I'm not actually the most critical thinker. I look at things where I'm looking for gold. <laughs> but I'm also willing to go to the spots of where things are uncomfortable. So what I want today is I want to treat this like we treat every other subject that we've done in the Good Way series as we've been making our way through the Sermon on the Mount, is I'm looking at this as Jesus's authoritative teaching. So what that means is Jesus is describing the type of relationship you and I are meant to have with the Father through him. It's a command as much as turn the other cheek or love your enemies. This is a non-negotiable. This is fundamental to what it means to be in the way of Jesus. So what that means is that this teaching should be a defining aspect for you of how you're going to live as a follower of the way. Now, it's right for you and for me to direct our needs and our longings and our desires towards God. That is what is fundamentally being communicated here by Jesus. In that whole previous section that we're looking at, Jesus is going, doesn't this make sense? If God takes care of everything else and values you even more than everything else, will he not provide for you? Now Jesus is getting a bit more specific, saying you should ask him. You should seek after these things. That it's right for you to turn your needs your desires and your longings and your wants towards God. So not just in a general, hey, you're part of the creation, you should trust God. He's pushing it further to say, no, God is your father, not just your creator. And it's right for you to turn your needs towards him. Now, what this rubs against is a great lie. And I don't think there's any more heinous lie at work within the world than this. That subconscious lie that says, you should not ask God for your needs. This is my problem. I, I recognize that when I am in need, I don't feel my default is not to ask God. I am hesitant. And so what I realize is that there's so much subconscious confusion in me. Questions like, do I deserve help? Does my need, the fact that I am in need, point to the fact that I'm failing at something? What this does is darkens our hearts and our minds with conclusions like, God was never there for me in the past. I cannot count on him. I'm not going to turn my needs towards him now. What that points to is a bit of a secret story. that We often feel as though we have been crying out to God in desperation our whole lives, and his ears have not heard us. Or rather, he has heard us and has not answered us. That somehow the darkness of this life and the evil that's at work in it 
is the defining factor of our existence instead of the faithfulness and the love of God. So what that leads to is a bit of an anxious attachment to God. Attachment theory talks about this quite a bit, this idea that when we grow up unsure of the types of reactions that we're going to get from our parents or from other people, it makes us anxious in our attachments towards others. This is also true of our relationship with God, that we can have an anxious attachment to him. Should I ask him or shouldn't I? Will he have an angry response to me? Is he going to discipline me for asking? Is he going to be mad that I'm asking for this? Is he going to be annoyed with me? Is it going to turn out that what I'm asking for is the wrong thing to ask for, and so I've just got myself into trouble? What this leads to is a kind of avoiding asking so that it won't be confirmed that he is untrustworthy, or even worse, that we are unloved. This is anxious attachment. I don't know if I'm connected to him. I don't know if he wants to be with me. Sometimes we can even create messes, hoping that God will somehow swoop in and show us that we're loved. What we're looking at in this text of Scripture, though, is Jesus, the Son, showing us the type of attachment we're meant to have with God. Jesus, the Son, he is teaching you and is teaching me, who are newly somewhat adopted sons and daughters, how to attach to God and how to know what to expect of God's response to us. This is the potential to clear up a lot of confusion. Right? That not knowing how is God going to respond to my requests, Jesus is saying, I'll tell you exactly what you can expect. And what does that do? It creates safety. When you know what to expect, you know it's going to be safe, even if you're wrong. So that security of knowing how God the Father will respond to you when you bring your needs to him, this is what we're looking for in this text of Scripture. What will that response be? And will it be the same as it is towards us, as it is towards God the Son? That's what Jesus is trying to teach us. We get to come to the Father in the same way Jesus goes to the Father. We can expect of the Father the same things that Jesus counts on about the Father. So let's look at it. Let's look at the first phrase here. Ask. I love how he just jumps into it. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. In this, Jesus gives three examples or types of need in this teaching, asking for something that you need given to you, seeking after something that you do not have, and knocking in order to enter into a place you have not had access to previously. Each of these three examples are action words, and they require moving beyond an internal need 
or longing or desire into communicating or expressing or acting. This is an important point. Each one of these three, ask, seek, knock, pulls us out of just the internal place and is an expression, an action on that need, longing, and desire. The message in all three requests, ask, seek, knock, mean this, can I have? Can you show me? Can you let me in? Or will you? (laughs) That's the question. That's the message that's being communicated with the request. Now think about this for a moment. Asking of God, seeking after things from God, knocking on a place of which you think God is in, that you would like to be with him. Who's super comfortable making requests? Are you super comfortable making requests? Because I'll be honest with you, I am not super comfortable with making requests. I am quite hesitant. Why? And I find the deeper the need, the more I want it, or the more I need it, or the more I've been, or the longer I've been looking for something, the more built up expectation there is, the harder it is I find to ask. Because asking is a crux point. Asking feels like a bit of a fork in the road. It feels definitive. Because if I ask, then, well, I'm afraid of rejection then it's a closed issue. If I ask, then I might be embarrassed or, you know, ashamed of the fact that I don't already have something. That I would be shamed for asking it in the first place. So it's a tender place. I'm afraid of a harsh response to it. And so I fear that response. I fear giving expression or action or bringing it out into the open because I'm afraid of the response that's going to meet it. I think there's another piece too. I wish that people already knew. Have you ever found yourself feeling that or thinking that? If I ask for it, it's not going to be the same as if they just knew and gave it to me. Asking somehow seems to ruin the love now, what Jesus does with these words is dispels all those fears with the very first sentence of his, of his teaching. Because he's saying, if you ask, it will be given to you. If you seek, you will find it. And if you knock, it will be open to you. He takes away the question of what, of the possibilities and just makes it more definitive. Verse 8, he goes on, For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. He reiterates it twice already. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks it will be opened. Jesus isn't giving a lot of room here for whatabouts and yeah, buts. Jesus gives us even more assurance than he gave in the previous section of teaching of why we should not be anxious. 
Not only does the Father value and treasure you, not only does the Father know what you need, not only does the Father promise to provide for you, but he wants you to request things of him with full confidence that he will say, yes. (laughs) That he will give to you what you need, that he will show you what you're searching for, and he will open up new places to you. You see how uncomfortable this is, especially for seasoned Christians. If you are just coming into the way of Jesus, you go, dang, that sounds good. But for Christians, it's a bit messy because if you've been on the journey for a long time, there's a lot of backstory there of going, Did I feel that was the case when I asked this of the Father? Was this the experience I had when I brought him my longings? Jesus, though, gives an important qualifier in this section of his teaching. He says everyone who asks and who seeks and who knocks. He's saying that it needs to be acted upon. The The request needs to be made, not just felt, for this level of assurance that the one who's looking, actually looking for it, will find it. And the one who's willing to knock on the door to say, would you let me in, will be allowed. So it leads to this next key question. Why do we need to make the request? For Jesus, what he's communicating is, is because it takes faith. It takes trust in who he says he is. So this is what God is kind of pushing us to this moment to go, This is who I am, and this is what I'm offering, and this is how I'll respond to you. But you have to believe that. you got to trust that. It's a movement from an anxious orphan who feels like they're alone in this world that moves them through this doing, through asking, through looking, seeking, through knocking, They become trusting daughters and sons. It's a transformative moment. And what it does is it weaves a new relationship between the one making the request and the one receiving it. Think of it in, in, in literal terms, that if you lived your whole life as an orphan and you're now adopted in Jesus by the Father, There's some learning that takes place there that Jesus can walk you through the kitchen and say, everything in this fridge is yours. Everything in this pantry is yours. But there's this moment of standing there and where Jesus says, all you got to do is just ask and you can have it. And so there's this moment where you stand there and you go, I still feel like an orphan. This is all new to me and doesn't feel like home yet. But as you're looking at the Father, so to speak, and you're looking at his fridge, you're looking at his pantry, you're making a decision and you're testing the waters. 
Am I a son? Am I a daughter? If I am, did that legal process go through? Jesus says it did. So there's this personal ownership that happens that needs to take place in order to actually make the step to lay claim to what's being offered. The Father knows what you need, and you know he has what you need, but you don't want to ask because you aren't sure what he thinks and feels about you. So there's this question mark point. And it's a two-sided problem. How do I know how good God is? Can I count on it? Can I trust it? And how do I know if I'm good enough for God? So there's all this question, this anxiety about the nature of our relationship. So what could possibly give us the clarity and confidence to make the request we want to ask of God? Jesus makes it clear by saying it's this, faith in him the Son, the Savior. He is fully God and so can represent God fully to us, and he's fully man, knowing us fully, and can represent our needs. Jesus, on this Ascension Sunday, is the mediator. God and man leading us into this provision. So what we end up doing as the newly adopted is we accept and trust in who Jesus is and who he has revealed God to be. And so here he is revealing God as loving Father. So we have to trust that. But then we also have to accept and trust that Jesus has accomplished his saving and adopting work, making us like he is in the Father's eyes so that we can ask confidently knowing that the Father's love is as towards us is as he loves the Son. It's wild. So it takes a confidence in Jesus' divinity that he's representing God rightly. It takes a confidence in Jesus and his humanity that he is saving us from our orphanhood. It takes a confidence in the cross of Jesus to see that we are truly redeemed, forgiven, washed, and adopted. And to believe in the resurrection of Jesus that we have a new life that is marked by our inheritance. So we're heirs inheriting God's love and God's promises and God's provisions. Now let's be honest again for a moment. In verse 9, Jesus is going to go further and address our enduring hesitancy. So let's be honest. We're still hesitant to take this teaching at face value. Now let's be a little bit more honest and say we are more than hesitant. We're still skeptical. The idea that God would say yes to every request, it doesn't really compute. That God will give us everything we're seeking for, since when? And that God will open up every door <laughs> doesn't really fit with our reality of experience. So Jesus pushes us further to face the truth of God's nature, and he does so in verses 9 and 10. So listen to this. 
Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven? So here's the thing. We know what's good. Let's be honest. We know what's good. We know that a good parent, if asked by their child to be fed, a good parent will feed them. So we know that they won't give them something evil, give them something harmful when what they're asking for is actually something necessary for life. But this is the fear that we would lay our hearts open in need and God will respond by giving us more pain and suffering because pain and suffering is what we've known in this life. But here's another truth. It would be evil for Jesus to encourage you to be vulnerable with God, knowing that God would do you harm. For many of the, of us, this is actually the very thing we're trying to heal from. Parents and people in authority who took our innocence and our vulnerability and our trust and exploited us, wounded us, took from us instead of protected us. And the sad part, I think, of human existence is that we relive and recycle the same story of our childhoods. The psychological sciences tell us that we subconsciously recreate the relationships and scenarios that initially harmed us most in our childhood. And then from a need to solve and reconcile what happened to us, we recreate that cycle in the hope that we can rewrite our story with a different conclusion. That's why you'll hear people, even yourself, say things like, this always happens to me. This is the story of my life. I actually say that. When we say that, we're giving witness to the reliving the cycle. Now, I find this is where things get complicated for people because they have found themselves in a reoccurring pattern or cycle of struggle and pain and are responding to it with the same unhelpful coping skills that they learned as a child. Sure, it helped you survive initially, but it sure didn't help you thrive. And now in adulthood, using those same coping skills don't make sense. They just create more messes. And then when we, when they pray or ask God to save them from the situation, the subconscious definition or expectation of what answered prayer would look like tends to be one where God makes other people love us perfectly or for this broken world to never impact us or for the creation to be inexhaustibly available for our appetites and unhindered trajectories of success. That kind of ex subconscious expectation of what answered prayer would look like just looks like more of this world. We just want God to serve this broken system. I want my idol to fulfill me. I want my desire for wealth to be answered. I want my need for success and value and notoriety to be served by God. 
based on what we've heard from Jesus in the previous chapters, this answer to prayer would be tantamount to praying for earthly treasures. And if God answered these prayers, he would be giving you a stone instead of bread and would give you a serpent instead of a fish. God would be subjugated to be simply a divine drug dealer, a drug that we know leads to violence, we know results in pain, and we know ultimately earns death. So what if Jesus isn't saying that, what is Jesus saying? What happens when we ask? His answer is this. If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So this is our crux connection point. God is saying, I will answer those who ask me. I will give and help find those who are seeking. And I will open up those who are knocking. And what I will give them is good things. The consistent response of the Father of which you can count on to all of your requests whether you are rightfully or wrongfully asking them, is that God will respond by giving you good things. This is what Jesus is teaching. And to be a follower of Jesus and of the way is to believe that truth. Every response of God to every request of mine is to give me good things. That is the biblical truth from the Sermon on the Mount, from the words of Jesus. Hear that. So then he always hears, always answers, and always gives exactly what is good and right. Those who are in Christ, this is what they can count on. Now, for those who are not in Christ, there's so much other scriptures that we could look at. God's faithfulness and love that he, the sun sets on the evil and the good. The rains come down on the evil and the good. That God is benevolent, generous, and loving towards all of humanity. But to those who are in Christ, who are in Jesus, there is a special relationship to be had and enjoyed. That every prayer is heard, every request is answered, every need is met exactly what is good and right according to the loving heart of God. So it leads to our next question. What is God's definition of good? <laughs> what, is, what is God's definition of good things? His definition is Jesus. Jesus is the epitome of God's goodness. Jesus is the fullest expression of God's love. Jesus is the highest provision possible for God to give you because God gives you himself. 
So how then is Jesus the good that we have prayed for? That means that every longing, every desire, every need is ultimately satisfied to its highest degree in Jesus himself. That every unhealthy desire, every bad request is sanctified by Jesus and his work on the cross. So that means when my unhealthy or sinful or idolatrous needs and desires are directed towards God, he gives me salvation. Here's an interesting thought. What if the sinful desires you know are wrong? I keep wanting this, and I know I shouldn't want this. Instead of keeping it from God, hoping you can get over it someday, what if you started directing that desire towards God? Knowing that, he's got, he says no to things that will harm you. So if he says no to a request, that is the good thing, the good answer, the good provision. So it changes things from going, so what I'm believing at a fundamental level is that my requests are met with endless love, that my orphaned heart and all of its neediness is going to be responded to with endless love from a good father. And any time I ask, the father is going to celebrate that I'm asking, loves it thinks it's fantastic that I'm asking and directing my needs towards him, that the things that I'm seeking after, I'm seeking after in him. The things that I'm like, I want in on this and I'm knocking the, on the door, he is like, yes, come in. That God is stoked on my requests. Do you believe that? And then knowing that He'll lovingly say no when it saves my butt, when it's the best answer. And then I can take comfort knowing I asked for this, didn't get it, and I should be thankful I didn't get it. Because God will answer the way we would wish he would answer, knowing what he knows. I think it was Timothy Keller that said that. God answers your prayers exactly the way you would answer them if you knew what God knows. So what it means then is that we live in a constant state where we can trust. I might be asking for food, but what I'm really asking for is comfort and security, and he knows that. What I'm asking for is to own a house, but what he knows is that I need to, my rootedness needs to be in his call and his purpose upon my life. I might be asking to win the lottery, but to know that's actually probably not what's good for me. So I'm going to direct that need to him and let him sort that out. God, what I want is endless provision. What I want is security and safety. What I want is a full belly. What I want is to enjoy this life. Direct those towards God and know that he'll answer it the way that I need it to be answered. The answer in itself is perfect provision. 
And my, the longings and desires we have to be free of our sinful desires, to be free and redeemed from the prisons created by the sins of others. God's answer to those requests and desires and good things that we're asking for is answered in the cross of Jesus. It's always, yes, I want to be free of sin. I have given you my son. I want to be free from earthly dependencies. Where I want or I need, he provides for me at a deeper contentment knowing what I have. That I'm okay. I can be hungry and be okay. I cannot have and be happy. I can be free of this endless grinding system that says I need to have more. And that he will provide me with the earthly things that I need. And so when I ask for earthly provisions, it's with a confident response to say, this is what I think I need. This is what I want. This is what I think would be good, Dad. And that whatever the result is, whatever the reality I'm living with, I can be confident that this is perfect. This is exactly enough. And then my emotions, my thoughts need to submit to that reality to go, this is what's best for me. This is what true fulfillment looks like. Let's seek after that. Let's get in on this. I want to close with a couple other scriptures. And I just want you to hear the promises of God in Jesus for you. First Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 39. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who were called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the adoption. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? This is the fundamental truth. All of my needs have been directed towards God, and I have asked of him. His answer is to give me Jesus. And if he would give me Jesus, how much more so will he give me everything else in this world that I need? And so I can be confident knowing the greater thing is being given to me in Jesus, and I can see that. I could see his love, I could see his sacrifice, I could see his victory, and I could see him ruling and reign through the beauty of the scriptures. And so I can know that all of my other needs will come into alignment with what has been revealed in Christ. I could be confident in that. This is what we know. That if he would give us Christ, will he not also give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Is it God who justifies? Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. 
More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So your prayers go to Christ, and Christ asks exactly what you would say if you knew what Christ knows. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Now in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present or nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the confidence that we're meant to have in the way of Jesus. Make your needs known, knowing that God has already given you the greatest of gifts in Christ and trusting that he will answer perfectly in this life, even unto your death, that no matter what comes against you, you will not be separated from his love. And no matter what happens in this life, whether it be cancer or heartache or sorrow or loss or death, whatever happens in this life will not separate you from the love of God. And the love of God will result in an eternity with him in fullness of life, free of sin and sorrow. But the prayer of faith is a confident one. I ask knowing what he has already given and knowing that he will answer. James chapter 1 Verses 2 to 8. Count it all joy, my siblings, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, because he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Here James pushes it to go, if you're going to ask, Be confident in his nature. If you're going to ask, know that he will answer. If you're going to seek, know that you will find Jesus. If you're going to knock on the door, know that Jesus is on the other side. Know it and don't doubt it. If you have a need, make your petition known. Ask for it. And then trust that your heavenly Father who loves you and cares for you and has sustained you will answer it exactly the way in which you need it to be answered most. This is the confidence that Jesus tells us to live with. Ask, brother. Seek, sister. Knock, siblings. Because your Father knows and wants you to ask him. Because your father has an answer for you, and I'll tell you it in advance. It's yes 
do exactly what you truly need, even if it's different than what you're asking for. You can be confident knowing that you're in Jesus, asking the good Father, and all things will be provided to you according to his perfect love for you. This, my friends, is the way of Jesus when it comes to asking in prayer. Amen.